All right, good, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Yes, we are uh, starting just a few minutes late, but that's okay. God's always on time. Yes. Why don't we pray as we begin to? Father, thank you for an opportunity again to be under the authority of your word. Thank you that your word is living and active and relevant and powerful and appropriate for every situation. We just humble ourselves before you when we recognize how blessed we are to have a copy of it before us. Help us to understand what is it that we might serve you better, might know you more richly as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a couple copies of the, sec- the notes on 2 Corinthians. Does anyone need a, just a copy for today? If I might send you the office to make a couple copies. Uh, looks like we're good. Okay, so where we left off last week, we were talking about 2 Corinthians, what were some of the main themes. We had a rigorous discussion on the theology of suffering. Um, and by the way, just um, I didn't share this a few moments ago during the service, but the battle is real. You know, um, about four weeks ago, I think it was, the state of Texas passed the heartbeat law. That was a tremendous step forward in pro-life legislation. Is really kind of resetting, as it were, the national discussion. But apparently there were no other deep, burning, difficult issues in California to deal with. Because Governor Newsom, just in the last, I believe, 48 hours, perhaps 72 hours, signed two new acts of legislation strengthening California's abortion laws as a direct reaction to what Texas did. So, um, the battle continues. And to talk about the things that we talked about this morning, we talked about in this class, that we need to talk about because God does, may become to the forefront of our lives even quicker than we might imagine. We're talking about issues of life, talking about issues of marriage. But that's all the more reason then that we need to be galvanized in the Spirit to just speak the truth. If we really believe what Paul says, that to live is Christ and to die is gain, then we can live fully and freely and faithfully with Christ. Because what really can happen to us? Right? As Paul said, well, they could, they could kill me. And that's okay. I'm going to be with Jesus. They can let me continue going on preaching, and I'm just going to preach and tell more people about Jesus. They can put me in prison, and I'm just going to start a prison ministry. <laughs> If we have that mentality, what can they do? It's exactly that kind of mentality that totalitarians can't stand up against because they're used to people just bowing down before them and kowtowing. We don't have to. doesn't mean we have to be obnoxious. doesn't mean we have to be rude. I think John MacArthur has given a good example for us in his church over the past year and a half. You just stand up in the pulpit and say, Thus say the Lord. And you're willing to say it on it. And if the Lord gives you favor, you're going to win. And if the Lord decides it's time for persecution, the persecution will come. So let's get ready. Theology of suffering. But in any case, we don't have long in this world in any case, right? But eternity is long. (laughs) 
So live in light of eternity. Okay? Uh, an appeal for reconciliation and forgiveness. The, the Christians were fighting each other in Corinth. And he's appealing, look, I, I planted this church. I'm the apostle of this church, he says. Let's have unity with one another. Talk about that. And we talked about him defending who he was as an apostle. And as we got to the end, I'm going to actually I'm going to reverse the order in that I want us to look at. He says, I'm getting ready to come. Second Corinthians has a lot of great emotional appeal. Paul is pouring out his heart. Be reconciled with me. My heart is for you. Have your heart towards me. And a lot of pleading language that they would become unified. And then we get to chapter 10. And it's like there's a, there's a switch in sentiment. He changes the tone. In chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 have a different tone than chapters 1 to 9. What's going on here? Why does he suddenly change to where now he's saying, he's rebuking them, he's challenging them, he's saying, what's wrong with you? Um, I don't think that's a contradiction. Biblical scholars have said there's such a change in tone that these must be part of two different letters that eventually were combined together. I don't think we need to do that. I don't think we need to play gymnastics with that. Paul probably didn't sit down and write this letter at one sitting. He was a pretty busy guy, moving from place to place to place to place to place, writing a lot of letters. So if we recognize that maybe he wrote it over a period of several days, or even just twice, if you were to write a letter today, and you write on a bunch of different subjects. And then you set it down. Okay, so let's you type it. Save file. And you leave it for a couple of days, and then you want to add on. Is it going to carry on exactly the same tone, exactly the same tenor? No. So let's just say he, he's, there's other things that have come to mind in the meantime. So now he's taking on, first it was the plea, now it's kind of the pastoral spanking that he's going to bring. He's hurt. He's angry. He's frustrated. He wants to set them straight. Why are you acting this way? He really desires their reconciliation. But he does say some really tough things to them in chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13. And he even talks about speaking like a fool. I shouldn't have to speak this way, but I am. I'm acting like a fool. He's, he's even willing to show his heart and say, look, I want to kind of show you to the extreme what you're acting like. That even I want to do that. And then we have this just amazing. If you think, uh, think you have a rough day, let's read about what Paul says he's gone through from, on behalf of the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Now he's taking on these super apostles, these teachers that think that they are the cat's meow, they have all the answers, there's this power, uh, the resurrection has already happened, we're getting all these blessings. We get to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I may boast of it. He recognizes that he's just kind of hanging out there emotionally. He's really letting it show. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. It's almost like he's going to their level to show them, look, these guys are claiming to be all of that. Let me tell you what my resume is. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools being wise yourself. A little bit of a dig there. You're putting up with these false teachers because you're so wise. 
but you're actually foolish. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. He's saying you're being abused, you're being misused, you're being mistreated by these false teachers. And then you can hear the sarcasm in his voice. <clears throat> to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. We were too weak to take advantage of you or devour you or enslave you. But whatever else dare anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. <laughs> I'm talking like a madman. With far greater labors. And now he goes in and says, this is his CV, his curriculum vitae. This is the story of his life. With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys. In danger from rivers. Danger from robbers. Danger from my own people. Danger from Gentiles. Danger in the city. Danger in the wilderness. Danger at sea. Danger from false brothers. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these other things, there is a daily pressure on me and my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not a If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. You know, that's quite a resume. When we start thinking, you know, life is really bad, this is what Paul went through. So that the gospel would go forward in different parts of the Roman Empire. And think of the context that he's dealing with as these super apostles are talking about power and, and wealth and influence and all these things. And he says, well, not me. I was just beaten with rods. I was treated as a prisoner. I was being chased by animals. I was drowning out at sea. And on and on it goes. Who most like this? Only the one who knows that he's just content to purchase in Christ. It really doesn't matter what happens to him as long as Christ is glorified. That's who boasts like that. Okay? Um, but we, I'm not sure that that would be a best-selling book today. All right? How to suffer like Paul in 10 easy steps. Except that there's no 10 easy steps of floating in the open sea for a night to the 40 lashes minus 1. You know what that means when he says that? 39. They used to give them cords with bone and pieces of metal and other things on the edge of the cords and they would lash the open back. And because the law said you could give 40 blows, they didn't want to violate the law. The Romans would go on. They'd give 40, 80, 100. They didn't care. The Jews didn't want to violate the law, so they would count and make sure they stopped at 39 so that they wouldn't violate the law. Five times his back was laid with this kind of beating. He said, I'm going to preach the gospel. Okay. I haven't had that happen to you. You haven't had that happen to you. So why are we going to preach the gospel? 
have it been threatened with spending the night on the open sea, running away from animals. Okay? We still have the opportunity to preach the gospel. So let's preach the gospel. Let's stand on truth. That's what Paul would want us to do. Um, so I, I, I'm greatly challenged by this letter. Greatly challenged by the example of Paul. That he really <coughs> glorified the Lord Jesus so much that he was willing to be inconvenienced <laughs> in many, many ways. And what an example that is for us today. Okay? So, as the, uh, you know, I've been doing an appendix each week with you. We've been doing an additional study and second on each book. For that, it's going to be on giving, so I'm going to move that to the end. You have it as part of your notes. Um, I think it's the last page. In your notes, it'd be page, page thirty, yeah, page thirty and thirty-one. So I want to, I want to do the other things that we normally do with the book, and then I'll come back to that. So, what are some of the things that are unique to Second Corinthians? It's only in Second Corinthians that we hear about this painful visit that he had, as we try to put together this timeline when he was traveling from what city on what missionary journey. Only in this book does he talk about it. And so that gives us something to be curious about. Where does it fit in? All the letters that he sent to the church there, that he received from the church there, the journeys that he went on, this painful visit. He gives a strong defense of who he is in ministry. Um, we'll look at this in just a moment. He talks a lot about money. Now it's interesting that in the very same book where he takes on these super apostles, we're talking about political power and wealth and pleasure and all the things that they can have here. That it actually is in that book that he talks about money. He wants to give a proper address and understanding of how do we handle the resources that God has given us. We didn't look at it in chapter 12, but Paul talks about going to the third heaven. What was that? When did that happen? He just says he was not allowed to talk about it. He even talks about it in the third person. I know a man that went to heaven. Whether in the body or out, I don't know. All I know is this man went to heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. And he saw things that he was not permitted to talk about. Right? So I find that interesting then that the Apostle Paul, who had some type of amazing encounter with God in the third heaven, where God is in his glory, and he's not permitted to talk about it. And yet, what are some of the best-selling books today in the broader Christian publishing world? Talk about going to hell. Talk about going to hell. I don't buy them. Okay? I don't buy them physically, and I don't buy what they're selling either. Because they contradict one another. They actually look at the details. They don't tell the same story. They don't see the same thing. Sometimes they actually contradict each other. And why can't we just follow what Paul said? I'm not permitted to talk about this. We have enough what is already revealed to us in the scriptures to have a full understanding of what we need to know that we don't need to use subjective experiences to try to formulate our theology. Yeah. Does that include bringing the outcomes with our heaven? Does he talk about being in heaven? No. He does he, oh, what he does is... Oh, he, oh, he hasn't been in heaven. He's just taking scripture and talking about Right, that. that's the difference. I'm talking about books okay. like Heaven is for Real or 40 Minutes in Heaven. Okay. Or these other books that I've seen where people are talking about. Suppose, 
there's actually a prosperity preacher today. I'm going to get her name mixed up, so I'm not going to say it, but it's a woman for a pig hitter. She says she goes to heaven several times a day. <laughs> and talks about her several visits to heaven. What happens? And I'm thinking, lady, you're crazy. <laughs> because if you really are going to heaven, why do you come back? Yeah. <laughs> right? And the, the, the things that she said are just nonsense. But you know, people buy it. They'll buy her books. They watch her on TV. They follow her. Why? Paul says, I was not permitted to talk about these things. Can't we just leave it there? Right? I always want that secret knowledge. You see, in the heart of every Christian, there is a Gnostic trying to get out. <laughs> a Gnostic, from the Greek word for gnosis, it means knowledge. In the heart of every Christian, is a little Gnostic. It just wants to have that little secret knowledge that nobody else has. Gnosticism has been an enemy of the cross for 2,000 years. It still is, okay? So, he talks about going to heaven. He talks about his sufferings. And we just read the list. And it's, it's not a pretty list, but it's good for us to read. So, as I do, as we're going through this, I look at what would be key passages of every book. If you understood the message of that passage, you're going to get the themes of the book. And I picked two. Now, you can see why I would pick them as you read through. Okay? But the first one, he talks about the ministry of reconciliation, both between us and God, and then with one another. What did Christ do? What did God do, I should say, in Christ on our behalf? Which then which should cause us to be humble and united. If it was God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, why are we spending so much time dividing ourselves? When it's God who's the one who's reconciling us. And then he talks about his apostolic authority. So those are key verses. Obviously there's more to the book than this. Second Corinthians might be among Paul's letters the most difficult one to really put out an outline and to really grasp what are the key things. It's really hard to simplify it down. So that's my best guess. You may have a better idea, and I'm totally okay with that. Okay? So now, any questions so far on 2 Corinthians, things that we've seen, before we go on to the next section? Let's talk about giving, since he did talk a lot about it in this book. And I think it is good for us to be instructed in the biblical principles of giving. As Paul is moving around on his different missionary journeys, one of the things that he wants to do is collect money for what is called poor Jerusalem. They were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and because of famines and different things were struggling. They were Jewish believers struggling to meet their physical and material needs. And so Paul goes among the Gentiles and says, look, the gospel has come through the Jews and we've been recipients of the gospel. Let's turn around and bless our brothers in the gospel by taking care of their material needs to show that in Christ, Jew and Gentile are brought together and they are one. And so I, as I looked at what Paul was saying in these two letters to this church in Corinth that was a wealthy church, that was big on worldly power. I, I 
boil down some basic principles on giving. Okay? The first danger, I guess, that comes when we talk about giving is people immediately want to talk about percentage. I prefer to start with a principle. Okay, the principle that it all belongs to God, this is God's world, do we recognize that all that we have comes from His hand? And if that's the case, then we move away from just what I might call legalistic or law-abiding giving to joyful Christian giving, which I think is more of a New Testament principle. Uh, Skip Ingram has written a book called The Genius of Generosity. It talks about how... Since God is a very generous God, very lavish in His giving, that those who are created in His image and then redeemed in Christ should be those who also are generous people. They share what they have. And they're not so much looking at the percentages, they are just looking and saying, it belongs to God. Okay? So we can circle back to those that want to have a discussion on the law and the tithe and all that. And that's fine, but we need to recognize there was more than one tithe that were offered, different ties that were offered, and if you follow all to the letter of the law, you get about 33% of your annual income. Okay? So if that's where you want to start, we can start. I would be glad to count the offerings each week when everyone's giving 33% of their income, maybe all the ties. Okay? I, I don't ever look at the money, I don't think about money we've got. A secretary, a treasurer, a bookkeeper, and we've got trustees and deacons, and I don't even get anywhere near it, okay? I just want to talk about principle. So when I look at what Paul is teaching then to the church, in 1 Corinthians, we're going to briefly spend some time in 1 Corinthians and then get to 2 Corinthians. He says we should give regularly. So, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper. Now, there's intentionality here. He's talking about as a regular way of giving or living, we should be giving. And there are several things that are mentioned here. And I've already given you the answers, so you can, you can focus on what we're talking about and, and maybe already have the things filled in if you don't in your notes. But the answers are up here. It should be planned on the first day of the week. Um, we know the story if you... you no plan. Sometimes you come to church, you see the basket coming around, and you just puffle, shuffle around for something and put something in. Well, that's, that's fine. The Lord does want us to, to be generous and even spontaneous, but here it seems to be implied that it's planned. You're just something, something you're doing the first day of the week. Okay? And you prepare. You set something aside. This is part of your, your budgeting process. This is part of your thinking process. It becomes very part of what you do. Yes? Um... Some people, well, I guess most people are not paid every week. So, yeah, keep, the, keep the principle. Keep the principle, and we can talk about the application. Yes, sir. Okay. The principle is what? You would agree that it's planned, yeah. right? That it's prepared. Mm -hmm. Okay. All I'm doing is taking the principle, and yeah, I'm paid twice a month. So, how do I do that? Okay. Right. But the fact is, it's still planned and it's prepared. Okay. Okay. So yeah. The principle then has a different application if, um, you know, you have a, a harvest and you harvest two, three times a year, but it's irregular, so you're not going to give the same amount, but when it comes in, you're planning it, right? You're planning what you're going to give apart, and it's, it's prepared. It's not just spontaneous. So good, thank you. And it's proportional, as you may prosper. You see that? Everyone is equal at the foot of the cross. 
and in the graveyard. Right? Everyone's equal. But in this life, everyone is not equal. What I mean by that is God has people who are born in different places, in different family situations, with different skill sets, with different opportunities, with different talents, with different gifts, different abilities, all that. And so people are at different levels of education, different levels of societal advancement, different levels of accomplishment. That's all part of his good design. Okay? God is not a socialist. Okay? He's not worried about equal outcomes. Like a socialist is. He is worried about giving everyone opportunities with the skills and desires and talents and opportunities that he has given them and expects them to use them. Okay? I am not six foot six inches tall with very dark melanin who played for the Chicago Bulls. I am not Michael Jordan. I cannot say that that's unfair that I don't have NBA championship titles. <laughs> it's not. I can't say that to God. God has given me a, another set of skills that has allowed me to learn languages and live in different places as a missionary and now serving here in Northern California doing what Michael Jordan cannot do. Yeah. Okay? Mm -hmm. So all of us have different abilities and opportunities. Do we get that? And then the outcomes are not going to be the same. I would say in this case, <laughs> biased as I am, when I look at the eternal impact, the missionary should be paid more than Michael Jordan. Yeah. Okay? But he will be. <laughs> they will be. Okay? Yeah, the re yeah I, had that, I had that on my wall in my college dorm room. It was actually a picture of a basketball player, I remember. It's, no, it wasn't. It was, it was a different one. It said, work for the Lord. The pay isn't much, but the benefits are out of this world. <laughs> okay? Benefits are out of this world. Okay? Regularly, plan, prepare, proportional. So as the Lord prospers us, which He is often pleased to do, He is often pleased to bless our industry, our hard work, our creativity, our uh, faithfulness in the labor force. Okay? As He does that, the level of our giving should go up as well. That's just the conviction that I have. It should, uh, uh, not only in percentage, but in actual dollars. It should go up. Because if he's prospering us, why is he doing that? He's prospering us that we might be a blessing to someone. Blessed to be a blessing, as uh, the old song says. Okay? So regularly, we give regularly. It should just be a regular part of our worship experience that we give to the Lord's work. Okay? Now we go back to 2 Corinthians. We jump out of 1 Corinthians. We stay where we said we would be, and that's in 2 Corinthians. And the second major point is willingly. And we see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And he says, verse, in verse 7, it says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Okay? God has a generous heart. And God is the most joyful being in the universe. Do we all agree on that? God is the most joyful being in the universe. And one of the characteristics of his beings, he is a joyful giver. He's very lavish, very generous. Just look at the blessings that we can number just in this room. Okay. 
I would say, almost without exception, that the happiest, most joyful Christians I have met are also the most generous. They just don't see their stuff as their own. They're willing to just share it. Okay? Paul says, God loves a cheerful giver. And so that means that giving is more a matter of the heart than of the wallet. Okay? It's just a matter of the heart. And we get a little bit squeamish at this point because, you know, it's, yeah, we work hard, we invest hard, we, we gain something. So now we want to enjoy, right? And we should. God has created all things for our enjoyment. But He also wants us to be generous, to meet needs, to. The difference between a reservoir and a river, right? A lot of us are reservoirs. We like to accumulate, 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 accumulate. A river lets the blessings flow through us to another person, okay? The river has fresh water. It's always fresh as it flows. But the reservoir... I was going to say, it gets a little stinky, yeah. <laughs> Don't be stinky Christians, whatever. But <laughs> You get the image, right? If we have our hand is open, and God can distribute, with my open hand, if God gives me some things, He can give more. But then He can also take and distribute to others. Okay? I close my hand. What, what's going to drop into my hand? What else can you put in there? Okay? Yeah, I know. I'm a little bit in an awkward position as the pastor teaching you about giving, and yet I have to teach the whole counsel of God, and so there we are, okay? It's more a matter of the heart than a matter of the wall. We should be giving willingly, okay? And I find that helpful. And I found that, and Carol's really helped me with this, because Carol's a very generous person, that we, we find joy in giving. And so we want to give and so, okay, God brings in, so immediately say, well, where can, where, can we, where can we use this as a blessing to some ministry or to someone or whatever? And that it's, it's joyful. Okay? Next, and we're going to drop, go up to verse 6. We should give generously. Now, that's similar, but there's a difference between willingly and generously. Right? You can grow in your willingness, but maybe the Lord hasn't prospered you yet, but He's training you to give so that He will eventually give you more. Or maybe He's got you at a place where you're, this is what you can give. And you can give joyfully and willingly. Okay? But we should also give generously. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap. They have not yet there, but generously. Okay? Do you see it as a privilege to give to the Lord's work? We think about it. <laughs> we're just we're just clay, <laughs> right? We're just clay, just pulled from the earth, breathed breath in us. We got an expiration date, <laughs> and somehow along the way, while we're doing that, He wants to use us for His glory and use the the work of our hands and the efforts to for His kingdom purposes. That's a privilege. I don't know why he does it that way, but he does. He gets great glory out of it. Okay, so it's a privilege to be able to give. 
And, I, you know, there are great examples of the faith. And we don't have to aspire necessarily to be those examples of the faith because we need to be who we are, right? But Mrs. Letourneau, you know, Letourneau University, who was giving only 90% of his income. And the Lord kept prospering him. And the more he gave away, the more the Lord prospered him. And it was almost like he, he could not give God. Well, that's the point. He could not give God. But God could trust him with what he was giving him. Okay? Generously. Then we get to the next one. It's a little bit more difficult. Okay? We get the first three, right? We plan it. We prepare it. And then we need to be generous. We need to be willing. Oh, Paul takes it a step further. We back up the chapter in 2 Corinthians. He now writes, we need to give sacrificially. Now I want to read, actually we have passages there. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. That's a challenging passage. Macedonians, they were poor, but they heard about the poor in Jerusalem and said, we're in. We want to help. It's actually a very common thing that happens around the world, is that as a percentage of their income, the poor give more. They're closer to real needs. They're closer to see what's going on. They understand what it is to be without. Though they have an opportunity to help, they ought to do. Okay? That's not steadfast, always uh, the case rule. But it is a general principle that you see. <coughs> Paul's looking at it from the outside. It says they gave according to their means and beyond. From his point of view. From their, from their point of view as the Macedonians, he said they had what? Abundance of generosity? Abundance of joy. They wanted to. They were motivated. They wanted to they wanted to help others in need. Okay? Um, 29 years of raising support from Carolina to do to serve West Africa and the Middle East. I was able to see these verses in action. We were just, we were taught and trained to just so broadly, ask broadly, present your need broadly, and not be afraid to say, would you, would you partner with us in ministry? Would you join our team? So we did that. It was not always easy to stand in front of a group and ask for money, right? You're just begging for money. Well, we, the way we saw it was we were giving them an opportunity to invest in something bigger than themselves, to invest in the cause of God. Okay? And we saw people that, from outward appearance, then they must give. Be very generous. And stay with us for decades. Okay? God is working in the hearts of His people. We can't always determine how that's happened or what we should presume or assume. We don't know everyone's background or everyone's situation. Charles Spurgeon was, um, he was criticized during his lifetime because he and his wife would raise chickens and sell the eggs. And they were criticized during their lifetime because they were selling the eggs instead of giving, giving them away. 
and it was only after the death of both he and his wife that it was discovered that they had been using the sales of those eggs to take care of widows. And they never told anyone. So as people were looking from the outside, they were saying, well, he's selling sermons, he's selling manuscripts, he's selling eggs. Why didn't they just give away? But behind the scenes, he was being generous with everything that he had. So we can't always tell anyone's situation, even if we think, well, this person is a person of means, or this person is a person of meager means. We don't always know. We just, we just trust God to be at work in all those situations. But here, the Macedonians wanted to be part of the solution and gave beyond, according to Paul, what they give. That's a good challenge to me. Right? Because there are constantly needs out there. There's constantly missions we can be part of, ministries, local, local and global, that we can invest in. They're doing great, phenomenal things to reach people for Christ. And then as we go down two verses, the last principle is... I couldn't come up with a you know, yeah, generously, willingly, sacrificially. I thought about putting growingly here, but that was kind of making up a word. So I just decided to say I was more, or in a growing manner. Okay? And listen to what Paul says. He's talking to the church in Corinth. But as you excel in everything, so he's talking about growth, advancement, uh, maturity, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in your love for us, See that you also excel in this act of grace. This act of grace here is giving. So part of Paul's wanting to see each church and each church member, each Christian, become uh, mature in Christ is that they are growing in every aspect of their lives. Okay? And their spiritual maturity, their understanding, we, we could add to that either prayer life or their ministry life or hospitality or whatever their spiritual gifts are that they're using them, but also in the gift of giving. Okay? I, I really like how Paul, in a sense, has made it practical. He's just laid it out there for us in some simple principles. Um, we talk about wanting to grow, we talk about wanting to excel, we talk about wanting to do things better than we've done before. And that includes then that which is closest to our heart, right? The things that we cherish. Including then the resources God has given us. Comments, feedback, reflections, questions as we talk about this. And I realize this is another, <laughs> this is the morning of heavy subjects. <laughs> The more you tithe, the more you receive. It seems like God gives you more. That's, it's possibly the case, right? That the more you give, the more you receive. But God is not a... He's not a celestial dispensing machine. No. Right? It's not a give-to-get scheme. Right. That's prosperity gospel. Mm -hmm. Okay? And we don't teach that. But oftentimes it is the case that God is pleased to bless the work of our hands and give more resources... Um, every year, as Carol and I look back over the year, we're just surprised at the places where the resources came from. Unrequested. They just showed up when they were needed. And wow. And that makes it an adventure. Because we just keep giving, keep growing, we keep giving, and somehow God just, the ends all come together. The needs are met, and suddenly it's like, oh, who else can we bless? Okay? 
God's economy doesn't make sense to your average geeky accountant, <laughs> but it makes perfect sense in the eyes of heaven because it fits with eternal investments. Yeah. I was in a district meeting one time in a different organization, and uh, they, they took a collection. And the district superintendent up there, he said, uh, remember, God loves, loveth a cheerful giver, but he also, also accepteth a grouch. <laughs> God will use funds that we give, um, whether we're cheerful about it or not, he'll use it for the kingdom, but we have deprived ourselves of a blessing in the giving. Greg, your uh, focus here is um, is uh, mainly applied to finances. Because yes. I was thinking about you know in a church, we a church like ours needs to have a budget. Our expenses we have, we need the members to be generous. And but I was thinking how important the real success of the ministry is on people who give of their skills and right. talents, and that that really. You know, we volunteers, we need people giving up them themselves. I mean, that's probably more. So where your heart is, there your treasure will also be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes, then, those that are giving generously to the church, not always, but often are also the ones that are actively serving and involved and participating. Because they have skin in the game, quote, unquote. They really want to see the church grow. Now, of course, we need both. And we need to communicate clearly if someone is on a fixed income, they're a university student, the next five years, I mean, they've got very little that, okay, give what you have. But then think about what are the other resources you have, time, energy, creativity, you know, that you could be involved in plugging in, and that would be considered generous giving as well. The other day I um, was talking to a friend of mine, and we was talking to him about how <clears throat> The uh, youth ministry um, asked if they could use um, uh, a vehicle line, and that uh, it was a little bit hard. But I, but I mean, I just it wasn't so like on the on. But but we did it, and he but he but he, he I don't think he scolded me. His advice to me, he said though, my, you know, uh, why don't you just rent them a vehicle? Your giving up your vehicle to use puts you at great risk. He said, and and. Um, you know, I, I must say that, you know, that those kind of concerns do sometimes uh, <laughs> come into um, yeah into my mind. Uh, those kind of those are societal issues, and look at kind of the way that society functions, or how a society, right? Uh, the legal culture, the and um, so hey, go rent them, go rent them, and then, then you don't have to. Use your generosity more wise, Mark. Don't be, be a little more careful about the way you be generous. I, you know, I'm not going to say don't do it that way or do it this way. I'm just saying if it belongs to the Lord, it belongs to the Lord. Can you trust Him with the results? You know, and if, it, if it's better to do it this way, then right. So the the principle needs to be there. Can we say with Job, sitting in the pile of ashes, the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Okay. So, use your head. 
sanctified. I like to call it the sanctified intelligence because God is helping us. Right? But don't be motivated by fear either. Yeah. I was just going to say a blessing on testimony. When Bert and I got married 52 years ago, we put God first. And we have had some rough times, but we have never, ever been without the means and the, and the finances that we've needed to survive on. Praise the Lord. <laughs> And that's just a precious testimony, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, I, I like reading. You don't realize the joy that I get from donating that time on Sunday. And I think working for the church sometimes coming, Gail came and was part of the cleanup and the excitement she had. There is a return for that kind of tithing or whatever. Sure, call. sure. And I think sometimes it's a matter of. Okay, so the one guy once told me that if somebody needs a hand, give it to him. Don't loan it. Give it to him. Don't what? Don't loan it. No. Don't loan it. Okay. It might have a problem. But no, I think donate time is really it's a great, great time. So what? You know, um, you could ask in a survey and say, what's your most precious commodity? And for some people, at a certain stage, life's going to be a good time. Full-time working, you know, raising children, studying, whatever it is. Okay, if that's your most precious commodity, are you willing to give some of it to the Lord as a sacrifice? And then that becomes part of the growing experience of my life is in His hands. It doesn't mean you get rid of all these other responsibilities. This means it's a constant reminder that it's all about the Lord and His empowering because of His provisioning and then uh, obeying that. And um, David, wealthy King David said, I won't sacrifice something to the Lord because of He wanted to be part of it. Yeah, and the overriding principle is it all belongs to the Lord. So it's not a matter of, well, I gave Him that. Now the rest of it I can do whatever I want with it. <laughs> Uh, no, it's, it's all, so our time, uh, if we spend it on our family, if we spend it on a vocation that is producing a good for society, those ought to be given to the Lord also, and we can, we can rest in that. Uh, but but the, then, as you say, the question is, is this how God would have me use my time, or should I invest some of it in uh, in the local church, in discipleship programs, in leadership, in serving, you know, um, but the recognition is that it all belongs to Him. Right. Which means that, as children of the Reformation, which we are, all work is honoring to God. It has value. It is a calling. It can be used both as a, a tool, if you will, of witness and of worship. And so do your job well. Uh, sometimes the most fertile thing, I'm, that's, the most fertile thing I can do is take a nap. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> There are sometimes I'm just so 
physically and emotionally drained that I could pinch a little harder and try to do something else. Like, no, I'm going to take a nap. Sleep for 30 minutes, wake up. Ah, world, here I come. You know? That was what I needed to do. I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But should the good Lord bless us to be grandparents, I'm going to tell you there will be days when the most spiritual thing I will be able to do is play with my hair. Amen. Amen. If he's created all things for our enjoyment, then with him as Lord, we can balance all these different things. I can enjoy working in my garden. I can enjoy playing croquet with my kids in the backyard. Whatever it is, and if I'm doing it because I'm, I'm available to serve him, there's going to be joy in it. There's going to be uh, fruitfulness in it. And there's going to be a sense of worship and witness as a way of life in it. Even among those things that you think, well, why would you waste your time doing that? Because God gave them as good, good gifts to us. So, I love baseball. I kind of secretly hope that baseball is a thing in heaven. <laughs> Can I get an amen? But it's the point that this is his world. You can enjoy the things in it as long as you recognize that it all belongs to him. Yes. That's my turn. Okay. Oh, I, I just wanted to mention what Jesus said. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, which I take to mean doesn't expect us to overcommit and force ourselves to do more than we can or should, that we need a balance of lifestyle that's within really He says his yoke. His yoke is work, right? So what he's saying is his his work, so we're working with him. He's the lead cattle, as it were, the lead oxen, as we walk with him through life. His, his yoke. So that's saying don't work. It says work with him, and then we'll find that there's a balance to be there. Yeah, I saw, who had, who had a question? I saw a corner of my eye. Yeah. Uh, I think about uh, uh, Jimmy, uh, out of the brain part, I was thinking of Jesus when he was rebuking the Pharisees. Or going to the mob for them. They, their grandparents, their parents were suffering and they needed food. Oh, no, 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 I can't give you because it's all dedicated to the Lord. I, I have to tie this amount. You, you, you're not going to get this amount. And that wasn't in the law, was it? That was in their, their human tradition. Right. Yeah. Any last comments before we. Going once, going twice. Okay, I figured that would bring somebody out. <laughs> Please. I'm not sure how to phrase what I'm saying, but is there anybody that's written or talks about expectations in this life? Like how fancy, how many teacups do we need? How, it's not necessarily a standard of living. But how do we feel content enough and safe enough to be generous if our, if our society is trying out get this by right. right. more bigger? So the key is contentment. My content is what God has given me. But then what has God called me to? So if I am 
And his name just skipped my mind, the Dutch Prime Minister a hundred years ago. So I'm a prime minister of a country, but I'm a committed Christian. I'm probably going to have to live at a little different level because of the calling that I have as a prime minister and as a United Nations diplomat. Then maybe if my calling is I am the department head of cleaning services at Oracle High School. Now in the economy of God, both of those things are important. But they're different callings. See what I'm saying? So what is it that will allow you to serve well at one level versus another? And then are you content in that? Okay, so that means it might be okay, and it often is okay for someone to have more, but they're generous and they're serving well in that realm that they have, and they have the means for it. Whereas another person, they're in a different realm, they don't have the same level of needs for that realm, and they can live at a little bit different level. I would say if you've become familiar with Dave Ramsey and his teaching on financial concepts, DaveRamsey.com. Just spend a little time there. He's got articles on all kinds of issues dealing with stewardship, use, using of things. I have found it to be very helpful and a reliable source. Okay. One more question. I thought. No, I was actually just going to say I think talking about budgeting periodically and, and how this feeds into, you know, as a family or a couple sure. to budget, I think it's important, even though it feels very private to talk about it, um, I think it's, it's a, a wisdom that's not out in the world. And, and as the community of God's people, we need that, don't we? To brush up against each other, encourage and help each other on these types of things. Yeah. Last time. It doesn't come out of this passage, but another principle is anonymously. Okay. I mean, um, Jesus said, don't let the with your left hand know what to write in. Isn't that part of that? Of course it would be. Yeah. There, there, would be there would be hundreds of verses that you pull. The, the, the simplified version that I have here was Paul's letter to one church. Yeah. You know, but of course, anonymously and growing, all these other things. I mean, Jesus talked an awful lot about stewardship of material resources. So good insight. And if you want to write your own notes in there, you put anonymously and put the verse for it. You want to, you want to say a little more about how that the false view of giving? I mean, there's a lot of false views of giving out there. And um, there are a lot of ministries that are built on these false views. Well, I'm wondering if we might want to save that for further discussion next week. Because we've got, we're past time today. Oh, I see a couple hands. Why don't you hang on to those comments and questions? Why don't we start with that? What would be some wrong understandings of money that are out there that we to be aware of? We'll start with that next week. So, Father, as we prepare to go today, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the joy that we can have of being your children. And, Father, now we ask that you would help us to understand your word. It's, it's so important that we grow together in your word, Father. We need your help. So would you challenge us to stir one another on the faith and good deeds? Help us to grow in our understanding of these things. Help us to serve you well as we go now in Jesus' name. If I could get just a little help, all of the tables should just have two chairs at them. Are you going to put more chairs?